Today's scripture reading is found on the insert in your bulletin. Today's scripture reading is found on the insert in your bulletin. Today's scripture reading is found on the insert in your bulletin, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you indeed are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we come now to bring before you our tithes and gifts, these offerings. And Father, we are simply returning to you what you have first given to us and asking that you would use these gifts and these tithes for the advancement of your kingdom in this world, upon this earth. And Father, for the spread of the wonders and the glories, the good news of the gospel throughout the land. Father, we pray now as we come before your word that you would that you would help us that we might sit beneath your word both humble and confident humble to know that our creator and our redeemer is the one speaking to us humble to know that we are broken and fallen all of us everyone but we pray also that we might sit beneath your word with great confidence this morning knowing that when you open your mouth to speak, you call 
the entire universe into being. When your son walked this earth and when he opened his mouth to speak, the blind received their sight. The deaf were made to hear, the lame to walk. He spoke into the tombs themselves and called out the dead. And so we pray this morning, open our eyes, we pray, to see you, to see your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him that we might be healed, in him we might be rebuked and challenged and comforted. Father, help us, we pray, by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It seems like every couple of years I I wind up preaching um, a sermon from this passage in Luke chapter 24. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, And there's always something new to be learned and gleaned and applied to our lives from it. Um, But We're using it this morning to conclude a series that we've been in for the past three or four months uh, this summer, because this summer we have been traveling through portions of the Old Testament and stories in the Old Testament, and we've seen figures like Adam and Abraham and David and Gideon and Hosea and a whole host of other people that we've looked at in their stories in the Old Testament. But we've been looking in the Old Testament to see and to be reminded that every story in the Bible really points us to Jesus, that on every page of Scripture, we should be hearing, if we're reading it rightly, the whisper of Jesus' name in every story and every passage. And this morning, I want to talk to you from this passage in Luke 24, really about how to read and understand your Bible in such a way that you see Jesus and are moved into His mission in this world. One of the most frightening days of my life um, came in February of 1998. Um, For the sake of time, i got to leave out a bunch of details. But but I was living at the time in Montgomery, Alabama, and um, I met this guy there, and uh, he invited to take me squirrel hunting. And so one afternoon, we loaded up, and... uh, and went squirrel hunting, and uh, he took me to this piece of property that I had never been to in my life before of this day, and the long story short is that we got separated that afternoon, um, and I got lost in thousands of acres of forest, a place I didn't know, and uh, it was cold, it was February, I didn't have a flashlight, um, it was a cloudy day, no moon, no stars that night. It was kind of like the perfect storm gathering on me uh, that day outside of Montgomery, Alabama. And when the sun finally went down, I'm telling you, it was the darkest dark I've ever experienced in my life. And you, you got to remember, this is way back before everyone carried around a cell phone, right? Uh, I had a beeper. Um, and uh, so, you know, there is no light I mean, I can't see the hand in front of my face. I don't have any flashlight app on my phone. You know, I didn't have a phone. Uh, I was completely cut off and alone in the dark. And there in the dark, I panicked and did everything you're not supposed to do when you're lost. (laughs) 
in the woods, right? And so I just started walking around in the dark trying to find my way out, and I couldn't see anything. I was running into trees and hitting limbs I couldn't see and getting cut by briars and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was, and it was so, so very dark. You know how it's, when, it's, when you're in that kind of darkness, the darkness even seems to take on other properties than just the absence of light, right? I mean, I felt like it was pressing in on me, like it was choking me, like it was suffocating me. And for five solid hours that night, I walked in the darkness, um, and at one point, I fell and tripped down a hill and landed in this creek, and now all of a sudden, I was not just lost, but now I was freezing cold and wet, and um, I wish I could share more of the story with you, but you know, I was, looking back, some of the stuff, if I could share you the whole, the whole thing with you, some of it's even funny, some of the things that happened that night, but that night... But I promise you, it's only funny in hindsight because that night, I, I really thought that I was going to die. I mean, I, I thought I was going to get hypothermia and I was going to die out there alone in the darkness. It was so scary. felt so helpless. And then something happened. An animal, I guess, tripped this motion sensor light on the back of this abandoned uh, little house in the back of the woods. And I saw that light, and that light just pierced through the darkness. I mean, it it was so bright in that dark, dark. And and I followed that light to safety, right? But you know, when I saw that light, it was more than just... um, It it, it was more than just me feeling relief at that moment, which I certainly felt. I mean, it was incredible joy at that moment. All of a sudden, strength and hope came back into my bones, and I was able to push forward, push forward to safety and help. And then, you know, then, then I had to hitch a ride back into town, which is really interesting, you know, when you're in camouflage and have a shotgun at night. Um, not too many people want to pick you up. That's another story, though. But here's the deal. I want you to move through this story in Luke chapter 24 with the same kind of progression that I experienced that night. From despairing, right, and being frozen in the darkness, right, to coming to life in the light, and all the way to an experience of such joy that you are propelled forward into mission. That's what I want you to see here in this passage. So my three points, frozen in darkness, burning in the light, and moving into mission. So first, frozen in the darkness. You know, I guess it's pretty obvious just by reading through this story that, uh, that Dave read for us earlier in the service, that you see that Luke is striking a major chord of darkness in this story. You know, it's the third day after the crucifixion, and these two disciples, they're walking this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, Jesus walked up on them. But Luke says in verse 16 this, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And throughout the story, Luke continually comes back and he's striking this chord of their blindness, of their being in the dark. But, but you realize that it's not a, a physical blindness, is it? It's really a spiritual blindness. And you catch how Luke narrates this. Uh, you know, Jesus drew near to them and asked them in verse 17 what they're talking about. And then Luke writes this, and they stood still looking sad. I mean, they were frozen in the darkness. They were paralyzed in their despair. They were unmovable in their despondency. And so here's the question for us. Why? Why the despair and why the, 
why the failure to see Jesus? You know, there's layers of reasons, I think, but I think that this is the main one. The main reason for their despair and their inability to see Jesus was that they had the wrong idea. They had the wrong idea of the redemption that Jesus came to bring. See, not knowing that it's Jesus that they were speaking to, they told the story about Jesus being handed over and Jesus being crucified in verse 20. And then they said this in verse 21. But we had hoped, but we had hoped he, that He was the one to redeem Israel. And that little word redeem there simply means to release from captivity. Right, but here's the deal. These disciples, like many others, were hoping for redemption from political oppression. Right? At this time, the Jewish people, they were under Roman rule. Right? And they had hoped that Jesus was going to come and set them free from this kind of oppression that they were living under. No doubt they were miserable under it. No doubt they were unjustly treated under Roman rule. And here's what they were thinking. If Jesus would just come and change my circumstances, if He would just set us free from these Romans, life could be good again. And we would be free. If Jesus would just change my circumstances, I would really be free. How was that a wrong idea of the redemption that Jesus came to bring? Because the redemption that Jesus came to bring was to an even deeper, right? An even more fundamental and even more devastating oppression, bondage, and captivity in their lives. He came to rescue you and me. He came to rescue these men from their deep bondage to sin and self, right? But, but these men missed it. They failed to think about Jesus' redemption at that level, Right? They really failed to understand their need and the redemption Jesus came to bring. You know, at some point, um, most of us have been in an argument, uh, or let's just say a heated discussion, a uh, passionate discussion with a friend or a parent or a spouse or a child or something like that. And in that, um, that discussion, right, you, you passionately make your case, right? You state your reasons. You make your arguments and you back up your arguments, right? And it's real discouraging in the midst of those arguments uh, that when the person with whom you are discussing these things, they don't agree, right? And they don't even seem to understand what you're saying. And it's so utterly frustrating when you're sitting there passionately making your case and that other person just does not seem to get it. And this relationship, you know, this experience, I think, really reaches its heights the closer and more intimate the relationship is, right? Like, let's say, between spouses, husband and wife. It, because so often these discussions that we end up having, right, they're about different interpretations of the exact same event that happened, of what he said or she said or did or she did, you know, that kind of thing. You know, we were both there, we both have the same information, we both have the same facts and so on, but we're interpreting these events entirely differently. Um, I mean, I've never had that kind of discussion with my spouse, but uh, maybe you have. Uh, but sometimes in the midst of those passionate discussions, someone out of sheer frustration, right, you know, they might say something like this, I don't understand why you can't see what I'm talking about. Right? I don't understand how you could be so blind not to see what I'm talking about. Luke is showing you in this passage that these men, they missed it. They saw, but they didn't see, is what he's saying. 
They were discouraged. We thought Jesus was going to change our circumstances. But instead, He died. Right? They saw His death, His crucifixion, but at the same time, Luke is saying, they didn't see. They did not see that Jesus came to set them free from their deepest bondage to sin and death, and only His death could set them free at that much deeper level. And you know, we often think, throughout our weeks, we think like this. We think, if Jesus would just change the circumstances in my life, I would be free and my life could be good again, right? Get me over this economic hardship. Deal with this unjust boss. You know, deal with my nagging wife or remove this pressure from my life. And friend, you are missing it. You are seeing but not seeing. Jesus did not come to give you a push in the right direction or give you a leg up or fix the circumstances in your life. He came to save you. He came to rescue you, to set you free through His death on that cross. Now second, I want to look with you at how these disciples went from being frozen in the darkness to actually burning in the light. You know, here's something very interesting to consider about this story. You know, Luke, the author of this story, he also wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, Luke tells us that after Jesus' resurrection, that He appeared to people for 40 days, for 40 days before He ascended into heaven. I mean, that's an awful lot of time. And during those 40 days, Jesus appeared and He met with people, He talked with people, He showed Himself to people. And there must have been an awful lot of stories that Luke could have pulled from in those 40 days. But He chose, of all those stories, to tell this story about what happened on a road to Emmaus. There must have been something pretty important about this story here. And this is what I think it is. I think Luke is saying to you and me that just like these men came out of darkness and into the light, so can you. Right? Just like they went from blindness to sight, so can you. Because you have the same thing they had and even more. So what was it? How did these men move from being blind to seeing? As soon as these disciples explained that the women went to the tomb and didn't see Jesus, Jesus said this in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And then Luke says this in verse 27, the very next verse, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Moses and all the prophets. I mean, that's how you spoke in this day about the entire Old Testament. Jesus is basically saying to these men, you didn't read your Bible rightly. So let me explain it to you. All those stories were ultimately about me. This story, God's story, has one main character. It has one hero. It has one champion. And it is me. I mean, Jesus is saying, you can never read me out of the story. He's saying that we are foolish and we are slow of heart if we don't see Him on every page of Scripture. If we don't hear the whisper of His name in every story in the Bible. Now, I got this quote secondhand uh, a long time ago, but I think it originally came from a man named Sinclair Ferguson. I've added and edited a bit for us, but it's a quote that drives this point home. That the Bible is about Jesus. That every story whispers His name. So think through the stories of the Bible with me as you hear this. Jesus is the true and better Adam. 
who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing where he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who is not just offered up by his father, but sacrificed by his father on the mount. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your only son whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say, now we know you love us because you did not withhold your only begotten son from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save him. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the true and better Hosea who didn't just redeem his bride with money, but purchased his bride at the cost of his own life. He's the real Passover lamb. He's the true priest. He's the true king. He is everything in the Bible. He is on every page of your Bible. Every story whispers His name. He is the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. What lies at the heart of the Bible is Jesus, every story speaking His name. See, all the stories could make up this one story. And please listen to me closely here. You know, the gospel isn't advice for your life. The gospel isn't advice on how you can become a better man or a better woman. The gospel isn't an example for you to follow in your life. The gospel is a declaration. It is an announcement, an announcement that the true king, the true lamb, the true sacrifice, the better David, the ultimate Moses, he came and he lived and he died for his people. And the disciples, you know, after the disciples had been taken to school by Jesus, They said in verse 32 this, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened the Scriptures to us? Their hearts were burning in the light of Scripture, burning as they realized it was all about Jesus, burning as they finally saw the hope beneath all their other hopes, a Savior who came to rescue and redeem them from their deepest bondage and captivity. Years ago, I read this story about a lady named Miss Anna Mae Pinnica. And Miss Pinnica, she was born blind from birth. And she was 62 years old when this story was written about her. Um, and she had never seen the faces of her friends. She'd never seen the faces of her parents. She never saw the face of her husband who she met in Braille class, right? She never saw the green of spring. She never saw the blue of the summer sky. She never saw the stars twinkling in the night sky. Right? She heard, but she never saw the wind moving the leaves on the trees or the waves rolling into the shore. And in October of 1981, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jules Stein Eye Institute, he performed this surgery on her eyes. And he went in and he removed these very rare congenital cataracts uh, from the lenses of her eyes. And she saw for the very first time, 62 years old, 
And it was, it was groundbreaking surgery at the time. And all of a sudden, darkness gave way to light for her. And in her own words, she said that she found everything bigger and everything brighter than she ever imagined. The author who wrote her story wrote that since the surgery, Miss Pinnica has hardly been able to wait to wake up in the morning, splash her eyes with water and put on her glasses and enjoy the changing morning light. I mean, can you imagine, filled, so filled with excitement, just as a, at the thought of waking up in the morning to catch the changing light. Excitement that made it hard to go to sleep at night. Of all the stories Luke could have told that happened after Jesus' resurrection, he told this one. So you could know that you can move from darkness and into light, that your despair can be turned into joy, that your cold and frozen heart could be thawed and come to life again in Jesus. You know, if we can get a little bit nuts and bolts practical here, you and I, we open our Bibles and read them, and we sit under the teaching of God's Word for all kinds of reasons, right? I mean, because we need comfort in our discouragement. We open up our Bibles and we read them because we want to learn how to pray, because we want guidance to discover information about ourselves and about the world and about God, right? To correct our wrong thinking that we have. We open our Bibles um, for all kinds of reasons. But can I, I want to tell you this. Even the good reasons for which you open your Bible to read it, they are just secondary reasons. Because Jesus was saying that day on the road to Emmaus, what you most desperately need in this life are not my gifts or my ability to change or fix your circumstances. What you most desperately need is me. I want to encourage you with this. Come here on Sunday mornings to hear the Word preached. Pick up your Bible during the week and read it. Attend one of the Bible studies that we have during the week. And on every page you read, look for the case for Jesus. Because it's there. Jesus said it's there. Read it as, as the way into a relationship with Jesus. And you do that, and by the power of God's Spirit, your hearts will begin to burn within you. Finally, then, last point. Being frozen in the darkness to burning in the light and finally to moving into mission. Jesus took these men into the Old Testament, right, to see that it was all about Him. And while He spoke, their hearts burned within them. But I did leave something out of the story, and it's this. These men invited Jesus to a meal with, him, with them. And while they were sitting at the table, this is in verse 30. It says, He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. Listen, go home and open up any of the Gospels, any of the Gospels, and read them. And you see all the places Jesus is breaking bread with people, right? He goes into the homes of the thieves and the tax collectors and breaks bread with them, right? He feeds the multitudes and he breaks bread with them. You know, but I think Luke, especially as in his mind, a meal three days earlier from this story, right? A meal where Jesus took bread and he broke it, and he said to his followers, this is my body given for you. I think these two knew that story because they knew all these events that had happened in Jerusalem. They were plain, right? And all of a sudden, as Jesus broke the bread in front of them, it came flooding home to them. This is the one the whole Bible is about. 
This is the one the whole story is about. This is the one whose body was broken for us. How was it that Jesus came to redeem us from our deepest bondage? It was by taking the curse we deserved. It was by dying the death in our place that we should have died. I mean, this is what Jesus said in verse 26. That when you read the Bibles, you have, the Bible, you have to see that the Christ had to suffer these things and then enter His glory. You know, earlier in the passage, the disciples, we saw they were standing still, looking sad. They were frozen in their despair. They were unmovable in their despondency, right? But what happened when this announcement, this declaration, this proclamation hit home? Verse 23, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I mean, they left immediately. Immediately they were moving. Don't you see? I mean, there was no delay. They went from sad and standing still to running to Jerusalem to share this news. This proclamation that changed everything. And it moved them to action. It propelled them out into mission. How does that work? How how does the gospel really move you into mission? You know, I want you to think with me about this. You know, the Greek word for gospel or good news um, is euangelion, right? But this word, that word, that Greek word, it, it was not original to Christianity. I know we come up with a lot of strange Christianese kind of things that we say to each other, but this isn't one of them. It was not original to Christianity, right? It, it was a Greek word, and, and the Greeks had been using that word for a long time. Because you see, when the Greeks, when they went to war, They would send back messengers for their people. And when those messengers came back with good news, it was, they they came back with euangelion. And for a second, if you can just imagine this. Imagine your king has gone out to do battle against your enemies. And imagine that he sent back a messenger from the battle lines. And imagine that messenger came back, not with euangelion, but came back with advice for you. Trust me, when that messenger comes back with advice, it's always bad news. Because when he comes back from the battle lines with advice, it means that the enemy is pushing us back. We've fallen. They're coming. Get the city ready. Man your battle stations. Right? And it produces a lot of activity, right? A lot of frenzied activity where people are doing a lot of things. And there's a lot of excitement, to be sure, right? Prepare for battle. All this kind of stuff. But the activity that advice produces... It's activity that is driven by fear. But imagine this. Imagine your king sent back a messenger not with advice, but with euangelion, with good news. And the news was this. It was a declaration. It was an announcement that you could do nothing about. It has happened. The victory is ours. The enemy has been pushed back and defeated. And don't you know that news like that, it would produce a lot of activity too. It would produce a lot of joy. It would produce a lot of celebration, a lot of thanksgiving, a lot of gratitude. Get the city ready again for the king is coming back and we're going to celebrate his victory. But you know, both messages produce activity, but one is driven by fear and one is driven by joy. Under advice, you feel the weight of burden. And under announcement, your burden falls off and you are free. These disciples, they run to Jerusalem, not with advice, but with news. And there they are met with disciples who are also proclaiming the news. And the news is this, verse 34, The Lord has risen indeed. The true King, the ultimate David, the ultimate Moses, He has conquered sin and death. 
And let me end with this somewhat pointedly. If you look at your life and you realize that you are not moving towards mission, that your life is not changing in the light of this news, that you are not gathering the lost to hear this good news, that you are instead standing still and looking sad and not running, if that is you, trust me, the problem is not with the message. The problem is with you. You may very well be seeing, but not seeing. Listen to the message of the Bible. It's all about a God who came. Who came into this world to deliver us from sin and death. And He did that in the person and work of Jesus. Who came and saved us through His own death. Rejoice, your enemy has been defeated. And victory is yours. And let that light move you out and into mission. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before You with thanksgiving in our hearts that we have before us Your Word. Not the words of a man, but Your Word. And in Your Word, on every page, You proclaim to us the one true hero, the one true champion, the ultimate David, the better Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that by the help of Your Spirit, we would search the Scriptures in order to see Jesus. And then in seeing what He has come to do, and in seeing what He has accomplished on, the, on behalf of His people, Father, we pray that, we, that our hearts indeed would be burning. And that we would be Your people in this place, in this time, moving out, into mission, gathering the lost, running to proclaim this very good news. The Lord has indeed risen and conquered sin and death in our place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.